you want to take a look at the, the words of this hymn, it's a beautiful hymn that speaks to the foundation that we stand upon. And there are different situations that, that flow through this. And so this morning, I would ask us, is there a situation right now in your life where you need some firm footing? So look at these different situations. Verse 3, when through the deep waters I cause thee to go. Verse 4, when through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie. Verse 5, talking about old age, even down to old age, all my people shall prove the sovereign love of our Lord. Beautiful words from this author from hundreds of years ago. But with each of these trials, we are called to courage. And we can have courage because our footing is sure. And so in a world that's ever-changing, when the ground underneath us is shifting, this is the word of grace that the church needs to hear over and over again. We do have a solid place to plant our feet, and that is the firm foundation of Jesus Christ our Lord. I'm thankful for this hymn. I'm thankful for the words penned so long ago. Well, speaking of firm foundation, how did we do last week in memorizing that scripture? Did everyone memorize 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 13? We're going to say those words together here in a moment as an introduction into our sermon reading. Our sermon will be from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 through 26, which is where the song Firm Foundation is taken from. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. One thing I didn't mention last week is that the translation I used for us to memorize is from the ESV. So if you memorize a different version, a different translation, that's fine. Uh, we tried it at our house this week. We said these words over and over again. We're going to continue to do this. There's something about uh, memorizing Scripture. You think back to the story last week of our sister in the Chinese prison when they were taking the Bibles away and and she said, they can take the paper away, but they cannot take what's hidden in your heart. Well, that's one of the ways we remember Jesus, is to put the words of Jesus and the words of Scripture in our hearts and imprint them. So, remembering Jesus together, we're going to say these words. We're going to put them on the screen so you can cheat. But if you would like to say them without the screen, uh, feel free to. So the saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Verse 14, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, 
who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows who are His. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity or depart from wickedness. Verse 20. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. May God bless the reading of his word. There are some English proverbs that have made their way down through the generations, and many have stood the test of time. They're accessible. They continue to be able to be used by different generations. Here's an example. The squeaky wheel gets the grease. I think we're always going to have squeaky wheels. There are too many cooks, and too many cooks spoil the broth. Well, we're going to have to eat, so that one will remain accessible. The early bird catches the worm. I think we're always going to have birds among us, around us. And there are lots of English proverbs that have been passed down from generation to generation, and they still remain accessible. But I have to admit to you, I'm worried about one phrase. I don't think it has a lot of staying power. And it's describing someone as a bull in a china closet. Well, we know what that means. A bull in a china closet, someone who's brash, Someone who maybe ramrods a meeting or acts in a way that's too harsh whenever they're called to be delicate in a certain situation. They're like a bull in a closet of fine china. Do you remember fine china? Those beautiful, ornate dishes, cups, plates made of porcelain with the intricate flower designs. There are many people in this room who still have fine china, and a lot of it perhaps is sentimental. China handed down from mothers and grandmothers through the generations, and maybe that fine china is still brought out for special occasions. Maybe Thanksgiving, Christmas, Easter. But alas, fine china has fallen on hard times. I remember a speaker a few years ago at our family retreat talked about how the older generation is handing things down to the younger generation. 
They're handing down their stuff. They're handing down the armoires and the table sets and the fine china. The only problem is the young generation doesn't want it. And that's for many different reasons. Perhaps one reason is because we have grown more casual as a society. Maybe another reason is that we don't host as much. And maybe another reason is that the younger generation is not attached to things, especially things that take up space. This could be the digital technology, the rise of digital. Who knows why that is? So fine china used to be collector's items. They used to be investments. They used to be worth a lot of money. And now you can find fine china in thrift stores because the young people are getting rid of even the most sentimental pieces that have been handed down. They don't know what to do with it. They're not really that interested. Which is why that phrase, a bull in a china closet, is becoming a little more obsolete. And maybe in a generation or two it's going to disappear forever or we'll have to really explain to the younger generation what's going on there, a generation that favors the practical and space over the ornate. Have someone over for dinner? Let's bring out the paper plates. That's a huge shift from a few generations ago, which is really a shame because it robbed me of a sermon illustration. I mean, it was laid out so beautifully by Paul. Vessels of gold and silver set apart for special occasions, contrasted with the vessels of wood and clay. The bridge was there to the fine china, but it was taken from me. It's a sermon that's about 20 years too late. But I'm not giving up. I'm not ready to concede to the generation of paper plates Forgetting the fact that I am in a household that doesn't own any fine china. And I don't think we would know what to do with the china if it were handed down to us from grandma. And all my cousins are girls. I don't think I'm getting the fine china. (laughs) But there's something to be said for fine china. There's something to be said for the permanence, the beauty... And I would say even the formality of fine china. Plates and cups that are set apart for special occasions. Plates and cups that require hand washing and to be treated with delicacy and great care. Plates and dishes that are useful in the king's house, used in the king's service for hosting people of great importance contrasted with paper plates that are flimsy and unattractive and thrown away in the trash upon use. So I'm going to be like a bull in a china closet this morning. I'm going to push through with an obsolete sermon illustration. I'm not ready to give up on fine china. And that's the image I want to hone in on this morning. It's an interesting image that Paul uses to distinguish between Timothy And these false teachers, these teachers whose teachings are as flimsy as paper plates. It's a teaching that's given over to novelty. And instead of the timeless truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Paul says that these teachers 
wrangle with words. It's one translation. We see it in the examples that he gives us of Hymenaeus and Philetus. They say that the resurrection has already taken place, and we don't know the extent of this teaching and, and what are the intricacies of what they're doing, but we do know that that's a radical departure from what Paul taught. And this teaching is wreaking havoc in the church. It's causing confusion. It's causing quarrels. And ultimately, it's leaving, leading to evil behavior. The teaching feeds the evil behavior. I like what Tom Wright says in defining evil. He says, Evil is what you get when the mind is twisted out of shape and the body goes along for the ride. Let me repeat that. Evil is what you get when the mind is twisted out of shape and the body goes along for the ride. It starts with the mind. And Paul knows that teaching that is given over to novelty and experiment will be a teaching that leads to the twisting of the mind and the body will not be far behind. Bad behavior will follow. And so Paul goes to the source of the issue in Ephesus by bringing out the metaphor of these vessels. The china. There are vessels of gold and silver which are set apart for special use or honorable use, and then there are vessels of wood and clay set apart for common or even dishonorable use, and our imaginations can fill in the blanks there. I'll use the image this morning of fine china and paper plates. One is marked by beauty and permanence, teaching that is built on the firm foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ and produces fruit in the kingdom. The other is flimsy, disposable, and destined to be thrown away in the garbage. Which should give us pause this morning as we overhear this part of the letter, as we consider our teaching and teachers here at Brentwood Oaks, in our homes for sure, but especially here in the gathered assembly and when we gather together to study the Bible. This passage could be talking about teachers or teaching, but this morning we're called to consider that teaching that's set apart like fine china in the great house as opposed to what we might call paper plate teaching or paper plate theology. And admittedly, it's not always easy to distinguish between the two. Well, here's, here's a modern example. It's kind of a sacred cow, too. So I'll be a do, being doing a bit of meddling this morning. But it comes from the children's Bible show, Veggie Tales, which on the surface might look like good, clean fun. And that's what it is. Good, clean fun. A colorful retelling of the Bible stories that focus on morals, that focus on doing good, that flows out of the Bible story that's being presented. But even the creator of the show, Phil Vischer, years down the road from the release of these episodes, saw a big problem with how the show was being presented. And that what they were teaching was actually a paper-thin version of the faith. Well, I'm just the messenger. Don't take my word for it. Let's hear his words from Phil Vischer. This is what he says. 
He says, I looked back at the previous 10 years and I realized I had spent 10 years trying to convince kids to behave Christianly without actually teaching them Christianity. And that was a pretty serious conviction. You can say, hey kids, be more forgiving because the Bible says so. Or, hey kids, be more kind because the Bible says so. But that isn't Christianity. It's morality. And that was such a huge shift for me from the American Christian ideal. We're drinking a cocktail that's a mix of Protestant work ethic, the American dream, and the gospel. And we've intertwined them so completely that we can't tell them apart anymore. Our gospel has become a gospel of following your dreams and being good. So good that God will make all your dreams come true. So, and I don't know if he's trying to make a pun here or not, so I had to peel that apart. I realized I'm not supposed to be pursuing impact. I'm supposed to be pursuing God. And when I pursue God, I will have exactly as much impact as He wants me to have. Well, that's a pretty powerful admission from a beloved television show creator, and I don't have a personal vendetta against VeggieTales by any stretch. But by his own admission, Vischer recognizes that he was spending time in these stories on morality and on being good, and it was disguised in a sense, as the gospel. It was dressed in the Bible stories, but the focus was on morality and being good. And this kind of focus doesn't really lead to true transformation in children. It doesn't lead to true transformation in adults. To strip the morals away from the core story is to present children with a paper-thin faith or I would say, a paper plate faith. It's not made to last. It's not made to flourish. And ultimately, it's designed to be thrown away in the trash because it is separated from the core story. Which is what Paul is warning Timothy about, not only in this passage, but really the whole letter of 2 Timothy. There are these teachers, and they're arguing over the novel, the irreverent, the foolish controversies that have part of the gospel in it, and then there's some trajectories that are going different directions. And Paul reminds Timothy in this passage that there are paper plates, but then there's also fine china. There's the good stuff. The plates and the cups that are infused with beauty and useful to the master. Vessels that have been created and painted by the very hand of God. And so how does one become one of these vessels? How does one become fine china in the king's house? Well, in this passage, the fine china are the ones who have God's stamp of approval the fine china are the ones who study to show themselves approved. The fine china are the ones who correctly handle the word of truth and treat it with dignity and respect. Or to use an English proverb, fine china are those who measure twice and cut once when it comes to the teaching of the gospel. 
The fine china are the ones who do not need to be ashamed. The fine china are the ones who flee youthful passions and are not given over to quarrels and controversies. The fine china are those who pursue the godly traits of righteousness, faith, love, peace, the traits that are rooted in the firm foundation of the Jesus story. It's only in the Jesus story and the church internalizing that message that we will become useful vessels in the king's house. And it runs right to the center of the gospel. So what are we teaching? What are we preaching? What are we singing? This morning, we are part of this great house. We are gathered here. We have been woven together here at Brentwood Oaks by the hand of God. And we are a people who are being crafted for something very special here in Austin, Texas. We have been given a mission here. And a question for us to wrestle with this morning is this. When it comes to our teaching and our proclamation, are we a closet of fine china? Or are we a stack of paper plates? Are we people of great worth and beauty that the king uses for his good pleasure? The kind of people that God puts on display for others to see, to testify to his workmanship? Or are we fl- cheap, flimsy plates outweighing our usefulness, awaiting our time in the garbage? Well, I think the answer to that question comes in the form of another question. Are we saturated in the Jesus story? Are we drinking deeply of that story? Is that the center of everything we do? Everything we teach? Everything that we are about? Because if we find our identity in that story, not in the doing good, being good, but centered in the gospel story of Jesus of Nazareth, when we find our identity and are shaped by that story, then we'll be a people who are built to last in the glory and the splendor of the King. Well, may that story continue to thrive here among us and be put on display for our neighbors to see. Our neighbors around us have been invited to the banquet table. Our Austin neighbors have been invited to partake and to taste and see of that which we have tasted and that which we have seen and that which we testify to. And whenever we come in contact with them, May we bring out the fine china, the greatest story ever told, and be channels, be witnesses to the story that continues to live and dwell in our hearts. May we drink deeply of it week after week, day after day, so that it overflows out of us. May it be the center of everything that we are that we we may be a glorious display for the glory of our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to sing an invitation song this morning that speaks to being channels only, 
vessels for God's use in the kingdom. God working in us and through us for His mission and His purposes. And maybe this morning we come here and we feel like a paper plate. We feel like we're not being used by God. We feel like that we've gone off the path. Now is the time to come back to reorient ourselves around the only one who can give us life, the only one in whom we find rescue and redemption and power, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. If you would like to come and respond to the good news, we invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.